familia. What up? Yesi here and Edith. <laughs> Sorry, it took got, a little gotta, while to respond back. Yeah, we got to get this down. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get the intros down, but um, we are starting off today. We gra- We just grabbed some crystals para quitar las malas vibras de aquí. La buena energía. Y atraer esa buena energía porque we need it, you know? Um, so, just remember, as I, you know, as we mentioned in our last episode, our first episode together, that um, there were some episodes that had gone out where Edith isn't included because she wasn't quite my co-host yet. So, just... Remember that um, this is one of those episodes with a good friend of ours. But before we get into that, Edith, how are you? I'm doing really good. Getting through, pushing through. Yeah. Making it through. Yeah. <laughs> you you had a rough day. <laughs> oh, rough day. It was ups and downs, but it was really great. Yeah. How are you feeling now? I'm feeling great. So I am officially a tia, which is... <laughs> the most beautiful thing ever and i'm gonna brag probably from here on out you have you have bragging rights that baby is such a cutie um i told edith whenever she first sent us pictures like baby skip the whole like alien weird alien looking baby stage and went straight into just adorable stage yeah se parece a su tía. it was that <laughs> it was that extra tummy time huh i think so yeah, yeah definitely yeah. Um, I also have some good news. You were there. Uh, my engagement party, we had a family come into town and we had an amaz- amazing Gatsby themed um, engagement dinner. Uh, my man looked fine in his suit. Um, and she looked gorgeous. Hey. It was like the most <laughs> beautiful thing ever. <laughs> I, I can tell Kurt's smiling over there. <laughs> you like say that. Say that even louder for the people in the back, Edith. She was gorgeous, right? Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I think um, things are definitely looking up, even though, you know, some days I get stressed. Like yesterday, I was having a little Yorona moment um, with going into and like doing research on opening up my journal store and stuff. So... I got overwhelmed and I started to cry a little bit. And then once I cried, I got through it and then I learned some more stuff. But it's so. okay because aquí aquí si llegamos, right? Yes. So that is the beauty and the purpose of this podcast to be completely unfiltered with you guys and let you know that life sometimes is going to throw you a bunch of things and you just pushing through and it's okay to cry take a moment to pause take a breather and keep on going um this is a great episode i hope you guys learn a lot and please give us some feedback after i am daphne i use she her her pronouns i have been telling people lately that i'm trying to change how i introduce myself usually i very instinctively go towards my profession or go towards my education. And I've never defined myself with work. I love what I do, but it's never been the very first thing that I know myself as. As soon as five o'clock hits, I am completely locked out. So I'm trying to now identify myself with different things. Um, I consider myself a really creative person. I have a lot of hobbies that deal with creativity. I identify with being Latina. I identify with being part of the queer community, a dog mom, and a daughter and firstborn gen. 
Yes, I love that. So, Daphne, tell us about, like, your background. Where do you come from? Where are your parents from? So I, fr- I was born in El Paso, Texas, and that is right across the river from Juarez, Mexico. And from there, my family and my great-grandparents and their great-grandparents are all from Juarez as far as back that we can trace. I was born in El Paso, but I was raised in Juarez for the first five years of my life. My sister was born when I was about four, so we are three years apart. And my dad knew from the moment that he proposed to my mom and they were starting to begin their life together that he wanted to move to the United States. Things in Juarez were getting very violent um, and just not, not a place that he wanted to raise his kids and wanted to give them that opportunity, kind of a story that we might be familiar with. And he sought between Austin and Denver for some work opportunities, but his sister ended up moving to Austin, and so we immigrated to Austin. And for the first first six months of my life, I remember living in a family of 20. There was a lot of us, a lot of cousins, a lot of theos. Wow. Everybody was there. There was like six. There was like six pets, um, and our family unit lived in one room. I mean, it was just a lot of us that decided to take the plunge together, um, like half cousins and like distant relatives too. So that was. I remember that. I remember being just having a lot of fun. It was uh-huh. just a lot of people. Um, but once we got our own apartment. Um, down on Riverside in Austin, I remember thinking, I knew we were away from Juarez, from my home. We were away from my grand, my grandma and like everybody. But at the same time, I thought it was just a different part of Mexico because we spoke Spanish everywhere we were. There was a huge influx of um, Latino immigrants and Latinx immigrants there in the Riverside area. We would walk to H-E-B, we would go to all the stores and everybody spoke Spanish. So I didn't really understand that we had moved to a different country as a whole. And in my elementary school, it was also bilingual, and so we spoke Spanish for mm-hmm. most of it. And so that was my childhood upbringing that I, I knew we were in a different country, but not really. Um, but it wasn't until second grade when we moved to Round Rock, the suburb of Austin, that things definitely started changing. Yeah. And I was able to identify that we were, in fact, in the United States. Yeah. How was it like, I guess, like the, conver- do, do you remember like the day or the conversation that maybe your parents had with you that you were moving or? I, I don't remember the move from Mexico to the United States. I remember the move from what I thought was still Mexico Riverside to Round Rock because that one, I was very comfortable. I had started school. I did kinder through um, almost all of second grade in my bilingual elementary school. But I do remember my dad saying like we've bought we've got a home it's a lot bigger space because we were living in a really tiny apartment with a family of five um so I remember him saying that we're going somewhere that's a little bit bigger and everyone's gonna get you know like their own room I shared well almost our own room I shared a room with my sister until I was like 15 um but we were gonna have just a lot more space and we could get a dog and it was gonna be a new school so I remember it sounding exciting I was sad that we were leaving Mm -hmm. but I didn't think that it would be that much drastically different Uh uh-huh so it was an exciting thing until yeah first day of school and and seeing how different the neighborhood yeah was okay and how was it going in into grade school in Round Rock when you realize that oh snap this isn't similar to Mexico anymore I can't speak yeah or were you were you able to speak Spanish in the Round Rock I so I not really um it was all English there was no more bilingual like classes or anything um 
And I, my mother, I don't remember this memory, but my mom did say that the first day of second grade, I had come home crying my eyes out saying I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back to Sanchez. I didn't understand. Like I I'd started learning English. It was definitely um, a part of my vocabulary now, but at the same time, it just, it was so fast apparently. And it was just really hard. Um, yeah. So that was definitely challenging. And I didn't think though that I was entirely too different until I would be pulled from class to do the exams and the tests. I was like pulled for the first two or three years I'm in elementary school to do the um, the statewide testing. Like mm -hmm. I had to have a translator. Um, and I would be paired with another student, like two or three other students. And I would wonder like, why are we being taken out like yeah. i knew that i spoke spanish but i i i remember just being yeah interested and just curious and not understanding why we were being pulled and why we couldn't do that in class or why why it was happening like what what made me so different there um and then the biggest actual culture shocks and just seeing the differences is um we became really close friends with our front neighbors and they were a white family from new york but a love that we built such a close relationship with their kids they also had two kids exactly our age um went to the same elementary school mm -hmm. and i noticed that they called their mom mom but i called my mom mommy and so i called their mom mom because um, i was like that, that's interesting that's weird but okay we like called her mom that was too I, yeah, I don't know if I thought that was her name or what, uh -huh. but it sounded like uh -huh. mommy. And I, their food was so different. Uh -huh. um, you know, a lot of ketchup, a lot of nuggets. <laughs> um, and I would, and they weren't allowed to watch a lot of things, and we were allowed to watch a lot of things. Um, so it was really interesting to see, like, yeah, for like through second through fifth grade, being close with them and like running across mm -hmm. the street and playing with them and just seeing how different our homes were. Um, yeah, still a lot of love. It was just different. Um, yeah, like when I had bad dreams, I, I would crawl into my parents' bed and they would have bad dreams and they'd have to just kind of deal with it. Um, and I remember being like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, but it was different. I remember just the food being the most different part. I mean, my mom would spend hours and hours in the kitchen um, cooking. That didn't happen all the time over there. It was a lot of like eating out and things, um, which uh -huh. is, you know, fine, but it was just really different um, for sure. That is different. That, yeah. Yeah. And um, like growing up, going uh, from a place where you're able to speak Spanish all the time and, you know, in your bilingual school and then going to Round Rock where you don't get to speak Spanish as much. Um, how was it like making friends that you remember? <sighs> I made really, I made one really close friend, and honestly, now that I think about this, this might be the first time I'm identifying why I would get so extremely attached to the friends that I made, because I would cling. There was a point, I had a friend that I had met in third grade as soon as I got into elementary school, and she was my best friend all throughout third, fourth, and fifth, and when we stopped being friends in fifth grade, I mean, I would, I cried every day, I had to go to the counselor about it, because we stopped being friends, and I was so attached to this person, I don't think I made a lot of close friends I was just really attached to her um and it might have been something like that and she wasn't Latina um mm -hmm. but kind of she didn't speak Spanish but she was brunette um and the family home like kind of felt like mine a little bit I think they might have been even like third or fourth generation because I I know I think they were Hispanic I think um the dad might have spoken some Spanish with my dad so I'd, I'd linked with that pretty quickly um yeah but I didn't yeah I did not make a single friend that spoke Spanish um, just just clung to her. Not that they weren't there, I'm sure, you know what I mean? It just it just wasn't really spoken at school, and I got into my creative mindset a lot. I was a witch for a full year and talked to cats, and that was a thing that happened. Um, oh. Kept to myself a lot. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, and, and middle school, though, 
middle school was different. It was a lot more diverse. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot more um, culture in middle school, and I remember them being really excited about that and like making friends that also were from Mexico, meeting other friends yeah. that immigrated and stuff. And so I was really proud at that point to be from Mexico and like mm-hmm. doing all those things in middle school. Um, when Mexico would do walkouts, my middle school would do walkouts too. So there was a lot of culture um, at the middle school that I grew up in in Round Rock, yeah. which was nice. But I can't say the same about high school. High school. Uh, how was high school? When high school came, I would no longer like moose my hair and straighten my bangs. I like got rid of a lot of my Mexico t-shirts. I started wearing Hollister. I started trying to assimilate very quickly to the group of friends that I had um, and that I made. And some of those friends were part of the middle school, but once we got there, it, it got a lot more cliquish. And so a lot of the I don't know. I, I would guess a Latinx kids, like, you know, still proud, but like we're growing up and stuff. But I no longer wanted to very much only be associated with that part of myself. I wanted to be associated with a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't what was in. I think it's a little different now, which is yeah. great. But back then, I just it just wasn't really the thing to be in. Um, and yeah. And so I just, you know, got rid of my filas. I now wear filas proudly, but I got rid of my filas then. Mm -hmm. Um, I no longer wore basketball shorts and, like, muscle T-shirts and looked all cute. And I just, I stopped doing all that and tried to get as preppy as I could Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Um, Yeah, and just had a lot of white friends. Yeah. And had no longer, I, thankfully, my closest, two of my closest friends in the group, but it was all, like, a group of, like, six, seven, like, a bunch of us were Latino, um from Venezuela and one from Mexico who I'm so close with now but again we also assimilated really quickly yeah. it was great to go to their home and hear the Spanish and it was really cool and it was really great and it was a different kind of Spanish but I mean at school it was it was yeah. different yeah we, we both assimilated as much as we could yeah I think I think with the assimilation I I think I still struggle because I again like I grew up in the valley and it's predominantly Hispanic everyone Mm -hmm. most everyone speaks Spanish um but I think there was always this um idea of like we don't want to dress like Hispanics or we I don't want to identify as Hispanic to to a certain extent and yeah and I do find myself even as a grown-up now where I like I kind of battle or like have certain biases to certain brands mm. where I'm just like, oh, I don't want to wear that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like I, I don't it's it's really weird. And I recognize it and I see it. And I'm just like, but why do I have that mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. that Puma isn't? Yeah. Like, yeah. A, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's really interesting how those internalized messages, even like in school, you just internalize them so much that you just, just kind of come up as biases when you get older. Yeah. Yeah. So that leads us into being a firstborn in a family of immigrants coming into the U.S. What was that like with your siblings? Um, and how do you think it affects you now? I've mentioned it to you before and like to friends I'm definitely jokingly known as family therapist to my parents and to my siblings um just because whenever there's an issue whenever there's things going on when things go south when there's issues with the family um I definitely feel responsible to want to be there and help as much as I can Mm -hmm. um my siblings go to me just as much if not more so when it comes to stress when it comes to emotional 
needs and things like that and, and any kind of regulation and stuff, they, they come to me for that. Um, so that's always been something and, and not so much growing up when I was little, but now as an adult, like I am more a part of these adult conversations that my family members will have, like my parents with their siblings, you know, like when I was little, everything, my parents, thankfully, and I'm really grateful, have a very healthy, loving relationship. They've been married for about more than 20 years. Um, but now that I'm older, like there's things that I've, that I see and I'm like, man, I wish I was still young enough not to know about all these, not to know yeah. about these problems. <laughs> We're having an all of a sudden with my uncle or things like that. And now I'm part of those conversations. Um, but as far as being just first born and older sibling, it's, I feel a lot of anxiety when I know that they're having a hard time with things. I don't want them to suffer at all. I don't want my parents to suffer at all. Um, I definitely feel responsible to help them heal their inner child. That's been a big process, and I think that stems from feeling a lot of... I don't, I don't think I identify so much as guilt anymore with my mom leaving her home country and being away from her family and my dad but so much as being more grateful and that gratefulness, how do I repay that mm -hmm. debt of being so thankful that they wanted to give me this opportunity and put me first so much in their lives. And my mom has always said, and at first you think it's a loving phrase and we've talked about it, but when I asked her like, yeah, like what matters the most to her in the world? What is it? And she's like, it's my kids. It's y'all. It's my kids, my kids, my kids, my kids. You're the most important thing. It's all I care about. It's all I want to do. I mean, at first, like, oh, so sweet. But now I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, that's heavy. That's heavy. Yeah. Um, but it's really heavy. And so it makes me feel like I need to make sure that I am successful, that I'm doing well because I'm what matters most. So I should be happy. I should be good. I should be making sure that I am well, because if I'm not, then wh what does that mean for my mom's happiness? Right. Since I am her first. Um, her children are her priority and what she stands from happiness. And it's interesting because my abuelita also says the same thing about her and my mom will be like oh sometimes when she says things like that I just wonder how does she make herself happy or something and I'm like mm -hmm. mother this is you too and these have been recent conversations these past like two years yeah. or so um so yeah th those are big parts though yeah th that's uh that's heavy yeah that's heavy to to feel sort of like responsible to make it for not only for yourself but for the family or the people who made so many sacrifices for you to be where you are now because mm -hmm. I, I can definitely relate to that like um and even like last night when I went to that vision board with my friends and stuff we were talking about all this stuff mm -hmm. and how sometimes even like first gen students are uh, students um people first generation people or individuals here in America mm -hmm. like they have to grow up so fast as a as a child mm -hmm. that sometimes they don't even get a chance to be a child yeah um so I guess, did, do you feel like that kind of happened to you or were you able to be a child through? I was able to be, Go ahead. I was able to be a child. Um, that's something that my parents did want me to have. They really, even if we ate, I didn't know it, but even if we ate beans all week because we had no money to buy anything else, um, my dad was obsessed with like Technology. He wanted to always make sure we had the most up-to-date, like, PlayStations and, and Nintendos and stuff, and um, that we had toys. Christmases were huge. And so they definitely were healing themselves by giving us things that they didn't have in their childhood. Mm -hmm. um, so they definitely let me be a child. But I think what I'm realizing where my growth had to happen pretty quickly, though, was the emotional space yeah. um, as being the eldest. And so when, like, when my siblings would fight, like, I was definitely mediator. 
um, if I ever noticed my mom more like in high school and in college, like upset or having a hard time, like I, I definitely was mediator there too. Me and my dad would, he's in a much better place and now, but we definitely talked a lot about feminism and machismo and stuff like that, like in high school and sometimes even in middle school, like he would say comments or little things like that. And so I feel like I definitely had to grow up faster in that emotional sense, I think, and just develop self-awareness pretty quickly and how to help them and how to help all of us grow and things like that, translating for my mom at any point that I could um, Mm -hmm. and things like that. So I think there, I definitely had a childhood, but I definitely had to grow up in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Faster. Yeah. I, um, by working with, you know, I'm a therapist for a title one school. So there's, um, a bunch of kiddos who are, who come from families who are low income of color. And I usually work with the high needs kiddos. Um, and sometimes I get those clients who, um, are first generation are the oldest. And a lot of times they, they feel very responsible to take care of others mm-hmm. and their siblings and their parents and making sure that everyone else is okay. So I guess, how do you take care of yourself? Definitely million dollar question, something that I still have to learn a lot about. I've, I've learned that being selfish isn't always a bad thing. Um, and just being able to focus on yourself sometimes. But... Yeah, a lot of my self-worth, fortunately and unfortunately, comes from just making sure that everyone else is at peace and feeling okay. Um, I enjoy making people laugh. I enjoy making people feel comfortable. And so that those are big parts of me. Um, But I, yeah, focusing on me is just, my hobbies are a huge part for me. Um, Mm -hmm. Being able to be creative reading. Reading is huge for me. I read a lot. Um, I draw as much as I can. I'm watch a lot of anime that's always been a good like form of escapism for me too so making sure that I indulge in those has always been really helpful um I would say being a dog mom but that's also taking care of someone else and making sure that he's happy all the time (laughs) but at the same time like you know that unconditional love he gives me is very comforting and, and very healing too yeah um but it's still a work in progress it's definitely a work in progress because there's not many decisions that I make that I don't think about Everyone else. Everyone else, especially my family and my parents um, and things like that. Big decisions as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, So I I guess with that and wanting to take care, I feel like there's this unspoken message given to children. Well, sometimes even verbalized. Mm -hmm. Because with some of my kiddos, though, like, conversations that I have had are like well and and even I've heard this in my own family where the oldest will be like oh well you know you're the man of the house because your dad isn't out working Mm. or like you're the oldest so you have to take care of everyone yeah to kind of bring comfort and responsibility to children Mm -hmm. but then it can turn into this very exhausting experience for them Mm. so um are there any messages growing up whether they were verbalized or not verbalized that maybe you have internalized now so Verbal and nonverbal Verbal messages. or nonverbal yeah. messages that maybe you have internalized that might affect the way that you think about yourself or the world. Is it doing it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Okay. Um, so verbal, verbal, what comes up for me a lot is I wasn't 
pushed too too much to have the best of the best like grades or anything thankfully i know that's a thing for a lot of firstborn and just just children in general right like identifying themselves with their academic things and how that translates to their life today but a verbal message my mom did often say that did weigh heavily on me all the way up until college and and now in some ways that we talk about is when I would come home and bring B's that occasional C maybe some low A's my mom would be very shocked and very surprised because she would always say we don't you know Thankfully, they did not ask us to work. We didn't have part-time jobs. They really just wanted us to focus on school. That was our only job. She always said, school is your job. Like, your your only priority should be school. And, and she would always say, like, I'm not pressuring you to be a straight-A student. I just want you to do well in school. Um, that is all that I'm, like, asking for you to do because I want you to always be better than us. Like, I mm-hmm. want you to be able to never be like your father and I. We don't, want, we don't want you to be like your father and I. And then when I was in college graduating, they were very thankful, like, oh, we're so glad this will give you opportunities. That way you don't have to struggle. That, that's the word that she would say. Para que no batallas. You will never struggle like your dad and I. So mm-hmm. you'll never struggle. Um, and even now, like, when I have a new job or go to a new apartment, like, one of the compliments is like, oh, this looks so great. Like, it's so nice. You know, like, now you won't struggle like your dad and I with this. Or like, if I am to a new relationship. Or oftentimes, like this year when I dated, um, I was dating actively this year. And there was a couple of people that were making good money. Um, and I would share that with my parents and my mom. And she'd be like, oh, that's amazing. Like, you'll never, you won't struggle like your dad and I. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. again, the day love is the most important thing, but that'd be great. You know, and, that, and you won't struggle like your dad and I. Like, I've taken a pause from grad school and, and they're, they're okay with it. But I know that she has said often, like, oh, but, you know, it'd be great for you to finish that so you don't struggle like your dad and I. And so that comment and that phrase has definitely made me feel like I, I don't know. I don't. I feel like there's a lot more value. I, I conflict with it because I, there was a relationship that I was in where we both were making about the same. Um, the love was really strong, but oftentimes she'd be like, I'm, I'm glad that y'all are together, but I feel like y'all are gonna struggle the way we did, like financially mm-hmm. and when it came to things like that. Um, and so it does add pressure. It adds pressure to wanting to try to do always better, like in some way, like just, you know, but it, it's hard to, to look back at my bachelor's degree and know that a, a, your bachelor's degree now doesn't give you the same economic benefits and opportunities as it did back then, right? And right. I can't buy a home as easily. And they understand that to an extent, but at the same time, it's I know they don't, and it's not disappointment, but it's definitely just like sadness of like, oh, like it, it might be that she's struggling like we are. And I am, and that's okay. You know, I'm in my mm-hmm. 20s and I am struggling financially. I am struggling my relationships and, and my own mental health and all these things. And I definitely put up face a lot more with them because I know, again, that comment that I had mentioned earlier too about y'all are my priority or y'all are my happiness and we just don't want y'all to struggle because we came to this country for you not to, right? Mm-hmm. We made all these sacrifices for you not to. Pon el esfuerzo, es que te tienes que esforzar. Like, that's a big one too. Um, and so, yeah, I think it affects me because I, I realize I put a lot of face. Um, I've been in this recent breakup for two weeks haven't talked to my mom about it yet because I know it's going to be kind of that condom conversation again too um so that's a verbal one that's been given and then the non-verbal ones even though I've, I've had these conversations with them and very recently this last year about being the elder sister and having responsibilities that no one asked me to do it's just it's part of it it's part of the deal um 
for example, my sister and I were like staying over a holiday at some point these past couple of years. And I like there's a guest room with a big queen bed and mm-hmm. a, another guest room with a twin bed. She's the littlest and I'm the eldest. And I instinctively put my suitcases in the middle one with the twin bed. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, get ready to set up. And finally, because I've been more self-aware about this, I was like, wait, why, why don't I get the queen bed? No one yeah. told me that I don't get the queen bed. I put myself in the twin bed because I would want her to be comfortable. I wanted to be the most comfortable. And I came out and I was like, no, but it felt, I couldn't do it. I, I thought I, I, thought I was going to be able to do it, but I was like, but at least I now thought about it, which is a good step. But I was like, <laughs> yeah, that, that was my room growing up, that bed. So I was like, it's fine. And I told my mom this um, a couple weeks after that. And uh-huh. she was like, I never asked you to do any of these things for your sisters. Like, why wouldn't you take that bed? And I was like, because you wouldn't, mom, either. That's the thing. You also wouldn't. There's so much sacrificial acts that she does. Um, she feels you know, like even if she's down, even if she's sick, even if she's tired, she's going to get up and cook. Or like if we enter somewhere and there's a raggedy old couch and a bed on the ground, like she's going to take that raggedy old bed, yeah. right? And it takes a lot for me to be like, nope, you take the comfortable spot. Or like, no, please let me pick you up from work today. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to call in. Um, so there's that. But at the same time, I've, I've broken, hopefully, some, some generational traumas, but... Um, that is still one that I'm having to work towards because I do the same thing for my siblings. And that's sometimes my partners. But ironically, I think in my relationships, I've taken a really self-centered approach, mm-hmm. I think, as a way of healing. And I've realized that I am la toxica at times in my relationships. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's just such a complete opposite spectrum of like, oh, I can be tended to. I can be catered to and I don't always cater as much to my partners as I do. And I think it's because my tank is it's full so, right. and being elsewhere that in my relationships, I have never, I've noticed given in my hundred percent all and mm-hmm. selflessness in them, I think, cause I'm pretty worn out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely understand that. Um, I have this theory I guess or idea that usually the when you're first generation and you go to college you start to learn so many things about yourself and Mm -hmm. you start to learn that the things that you may have gone through when you were a child Mm -hmm. have those things have affected you as you grow up and um, in a deeper sense that maybe your parents even acknowledge or even know or are aware of so when you have these conversations with your parents of like um, you know, these things and messages that were either verbally or non-verbally given to me when I was growing up have affected me. How do those conversations go with you or for you? And are they hard for you? Because in my experience, like there was a lot of non-verbal messages given to me and verbal ones as I was growing up from my parents. Like, um, and these really affected me. Um, and they're not in a sense of like responsibility. It was more of the attachment based Mm. messages. So like, um, for example, with, with my, with my mom, it was a lot of the messages of like, um, I prioritize my relationship. Um, you can't, or, if you show emotion, you 
like it's not that big of a deal for you to show emotion so i've always mm-hmm. been that baby crier as well mm-hmm. and that like you know exagerada or dramatica mm-hmm. and i've always been told to like not cry and so i now i find those things to be like a big trigger for me so whenever i try to have those conversations with my mom there's a lot of guilt in her mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so i'm wondering if like how do those conversations go for you with your parents yeah, yeah they- do you remember the first time that i stood up to my parents and started kind of challenging ideas and, and talking about like our past and things. Um, and it was when I graduated college, I knew that I would probably go before the year ended. I, I assumed that I would be going back home for maybe a couple months and, mm-hmm. you know, save and like look for jobs and things like that. Like that was in my plan. Um, well, I hadn't talked about it with my parents, but it's what I assumed that I would be doing. It seemed like the best step, but I was still, this was like April. There was still two and a half months left. So I was still kind of thinking about options. Some of my friends were talking about moving, like all these things were happening. And my parents had called and had said like, Hey, like, just let us know when you're ready. Um, we can get like the U-Haul ordered and get you back home and things like that. And I remember being very, very upset with that comment because it wasn't a conversation, it wasn't a question, it was an automatic like assumption that I was going back home. And I remember saying like, whoa, 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 I never said, you know, like, I, that's definitely an option. I would, you know, I, I, yeah, I can come back home, but I'm also just thinking about other things that might also work out for me. And they were very shocked um, about that. And they definitely were like, what would you do though? I don't understand. Like, where mm-hmm. else would you go? You know, it's not like you, you know, and like, yeah. And so that was very shocking to them. And they definitely were shocked by that. And so I went a complete 360 or 180, I guess, and decided to move to Milwaukee, which was out of state mm-hmm. because they didn't think that I could. I They didn't have to say it. I just felt it. Despite us having a really good loving relationship, I could tell. But I didn't think that I could do anything but go back home and save. Like my dad just thought it was irresponsible for me not to go back home and save and look for jobs and all these things. And and things like that. But I could also tell there was a lot of love and they were missing me. It's been four years. I, you know, it, it, it was a long time um, for them, for sure. And I like it. It was hard. They also wanted me to go somewhere that was less than an hour away. Me going three hours was also me fighting that. Um, and so I decided to move to Milwaukee. And my dad definitely threatened me with a lot of things of like, you know, we're not going to help you pay for your car anymore. We're not. We're going to not help you with your credit cards. We're not going to, you know, if any like bills come up or things come up like you're on your own. If this is what you want, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. And that scare tactic didn't work, thankfully. It did, I mean, it was kind of working, but I still was like, well, okay, I'm going. Um, and I went. And I oh, moved to Milwaukee. So yeah. Um, and it, yeah, and I, I mean, went with my friend because he was going for grad school and he was the okay. one that would randomly was like, I mean, do you want to just go with me on a limb? And at the time I was like, no. But then when all that happened, I was like, I guess I'm going. And I oh, did. Oh, man. Um, and my parents and I had a pretty, for the first time in my life, tough relationship. We didn't talk as much, and I talked to them almost every other day. Um, so mm-hmm. that was definitely different. And I finally was able to be like, like I think we need to have a conversation. Um, actually, I think it went unsaid. I think it went unsaid until the end of the year again. Like, we had an okay relationship. We chatted, we talked, to just kind of go back to normal. But it happened again. With Milwaukee ended, they had called and were like, when do you need help moving back in? Mm-hmm. I was like, God damn it. Did this not like, do I need to move out of the country now to show that like, I can do this. I can do this. Um, yeah, but I did. I finally said, you know, I know y'all have never said this, but again, like the reason I did this was because y'all made it sound like I couldn't. 
I felt I felt that pressure that like uh, that I had more responsibilities to go back home, mm-hmm. right, and to make sure that my like how was I gonna support? And they did mention the comment of like, how are you gonna support your siblings while so far away, right? Like, how are you gonna like, you can't just get up and leave and, and be away from the family, right? Um, and so we had those conversations, and at first it was met with a lot of denial mm-hmm. of like. I don't know why you would think that we would never say that we wouldn't do any of those things or like we we never made you feel this way or something like that but because they had never learned you know it to validate without agreeing how do you still validate someone's feelings and stuff um and that year doing a service year I started learning a little bit more about trauma and learning about you know ourselves and, and mental health and things like that and I don't remember the, all the conversation, but it, it got to a point where I was able to go back home and they were able to say, like, I'm sorry if we made you feel that way. You are capable of doing anything you put your mind to and this, this, and that. So it ended mm-hmm. with peace. Um, and college definitely awoke me to a lot of things. A lot of things about being a woman, for sure, was huge. And my yeah. dad is great, but there was a lot of machismo there just naturally ingrained in him from his upbringing. And so I don't think he... Ex- like living together was a lot different because seeing movies was different talking about issues was different talking about politics was different um and i honestly had a lot of fun challenging my dad we got we would get into a lot of arguments about things i Um, relate to that for sure but there's still a lot of respect i know my mom at times will make comments of like sometimes i feel like y'all the way you speak to him sometimes about these things like is a little disrespectful and stuff and and i hear that but at the same time like it I know it comes from a place of like at the end of the day, like he respects my thoughts and stuff, but he's still going to have the last word. That was a big thing for a while. Um, But it wasn't until I started uh, once again being dependent a lot on that emotional Uh thing as they got older and like having them realize um, things about themselves. Working with youth with trauma was huge for me because I learned a lot about myself and the people around me. Yeah. And I would get really angry at my dad. I loved him, but I would get so angry when he would... He hated to see us cry, similarly. Um, he wouldn't say, thankfully, the classic, like, I'll give you something to cry about. But he definitely would s- send us to our rooms if we cried. Or, like, he had to step away and be like, I'm not like, going to be around see this. this. I don't want to yeah. see around these emotions. Um, and once I learned about my kids and would share stories, like, both my parents were very curious about their behaviors and how I would work with them. And at first, my dad would always would make comments of like, I just don't understand. I also grew up abused. I also grew up. My dad would punch me in the face all the time and I didn't grow up having these issues, Um, you know. And so I was like, yeah, you know, we can talk about that a little bit more. Um, And so I think (laughs) I'm sorry. I just um, every time because I do hear that, you know, like I hear all the time, like a meeting with kiddos that are in elementary and stuff. I I also get that the usual. Well, I grew up with that. And I'm like, yeah, well, I are you know, are you able to express your emotions in in a healthy way or are you only comfortable feeling angry? (laughs) Exactly. And so it took I mean, it's not like it was a one conversation kind of thing. Uh It took years of us having conversations about me sharing what my some of my kids have gone through sharing my own personal growth and the things that I'm understanding about myself just them hearing me talk about myself and like this is why I'm actually such a hypochondriac this is why I'm so sensitive about this thing like I think them seeing my growth helped a lot and me just sharing with the intention of course of having them become more Mm self-aware and before I knew it my dad would say things of like I should talk to a shrink, huh? He calls he calls all therapist shrinks. Because <laughs> um, he'll be like, is that why, Daphne, sometimes I feel like things you say 
I think do make sense because I don't know why I I get so uncomfortable seeing your mom cry and it makes me so sad and fr you know what I mean like it, it started happening with me just being able to speak about these things more they started mirroring some of that um, and my mom was able to share a childhood trauma with me that she had never shared with anybody before mm -hmm. um, and I had to sit with that and finally tell her that like there's only so much of that I can hear because that it's it's really heavy and I had to go to I was in therapy at the time and had to talk to my therapist about like feeling so guilty that she came up to me with these things and it was just honestly too much to bear and that was the first time that I felt really selfish to be able to tell her like mom thank you so much for sharing this and I helped her like the first two conversations but in the third one I was like I I can connect you with someone but I can't like as your daughter yeah this is really heavy and this is really hard and it's it's a lot for me. It's a lot yeah. for me to carry and try to help you with this process, um, and that was huge. But again, opening the doors, and then lastly, I think the biggest game changer into them being able to talk and have these conversations, learn about themselves. And my sister's comfortable with me sharing. My youngest sister is transgender, and when she came out three and a half years ago, time goes by fast. The pandemic, I think, three and a half years ago, I sat my parents down and told them. I'm so sorry, you will not, you know, let me speak for like an hour here about this. Um, and I think them seeing that and how much, I don't know, how much grace I think that conversation was and how well-intentioned it was despite everything that they had to unlearn was huge because their love for their kid did overcome, overcome like a lot of uncomfortability and a lot of questions. And them learning more about the queer community has also opened doors for them to learn about everything about themselves about their culture, about machismo, about, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of things. And so them having to overcome and change their brain wiring from things that they've known from they were little. And they said that they were like, we don't know where to start here, but we want to. Yeah. We have to do this. That That is amazing to hear, to like, to know that, you know, your parents are were so like open-minded about like, okay, these are children. They feel very passionately and they or like they identify um, or are this way and we need to understand and accommodate to who they are mm -hmm. because that's who they are. So I think that's amazing. And, and the fact that they aren't, you know, prideful in the sense of like, well, that's not how I raised you. Right. Right. And so. they had comments, but they had them for me and I told them they were for me and if they had any, and again, taking that responsibility there and it was a heavy, it was a heavy year, but I'm like, if y'all have questions and y'all things y'all are confused about and y'all are frustrated, y'all just want to let, like, it, just tell me and we'll, we'll have to go through it. And there yeah. were, there was a lot of hurtful things, but I, I think the conversations go well because I have to, it's helped a lot for me to learn about my own traumas and my, and just learning about mm -hmm. trauma in general to understand them and not be angry yeah. with them, not be upset with them. It uh -huh. doesn't make it okay sometimes, right? The things that yeah. are said, if my feelings are hurt or, or arguments happen, but it, I don't take it personally. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I know that they have work to do that they've not done. Yeah. And we're always growing. Yeah. That's, wow. You are such a big, like, part of like your family mm -hmm. that's amazing yeah and also like that's a lot of responsibility yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i did have another question um i think this has more to do of like um actually i don't think i have another question <laughs> mm -hmm. but um 
I guess, how did you... Because we we have started to share with each other, like, memes and videos uh-huh. of, like, being the first generation that, like, not necessarily fixes the generational trauma, but, like, we are, I think, actively trying to teach our families more about how the trauma from previous generations do affect us up until now. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and this is something that I kind of wanted to bring up as you were talking about your mom and the trauma that she shared with you is, like, I think maybe to a certain extent, partially, like it's it's hard for us to hear. Not only because we have love for them, but like in a sense, genetically, we also suffered that trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because you know, like with women, like even in conception, um, and when we start to, mm-hmm. I don't know, look like little aliens in the bellies mm-hmm. and stuff, we already have the ovaries. Yeah. And so that's like my grandma had my mom's ovaries. In her mm-hmm. had my mom. Her, she had her ovaries and my mom's ovaries, and in turn had mine. So even like the shit that my grandma has gone through has been passed down to me, which to a certain extent maybe that's why I'm like more anxious or I have certain things that in in me or characteristics in me that have been passed down through them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. No, to it y'all. does. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but. Um, honestly, what that just made me think of is I've gotten a lot more grace for my grandmother mm-hmm. than I've ever had before. And I am really protective and defensive of her because she's known as being like um, a perfectionist, as she's never wrong, as like she has to have it her way or the highway. Um, and yeah, that it's never her fault or that she's very dramatic and all these things. Mm-hmm. And growing up, there was at some points that I could agree. I could see it. But after going to college and after just living my life and, and all these things and learning about trauma and myself, like, I immediately start, like, I just ask her a lot more questions about her childhood. And she was just here. She just left this morning and she mm-hmm. spent these last two weeks. And every time that I've been able to see her more in my adult life. Um, hang out normally but I also make it a point to just ask her about her upbringing because my great my um very recently my mom's dad which was her um my grandma's ex-husband both my grandparents are divorced um passed away and they were giving my grandma a lot of grief over how she was grieving Uh and sometimes the comments that she would make about like things that definitely could feel insensitive and it doesn't make it right but I like, my brain immediately goes to, like, why is she grieving this way? You know, like, what yeah. is going on? Because my mom was pretty upset and, like, um, yeah, and things like that. And But the thing is, like, I look at it and, like, my grandpa was wonderful and he was a great grandpa and he was a great dad. But they didn't have a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. It was very unhealthy. It was very toxic. Um, they got divorced as soon as the kids were able to be on their own. Like, okay, I'm not even actually legally divorced. You know, they were just like, now you get to live in that house and I live in this house. They were still amicable, but they it was better to be separately. Yeah. Um, wonderful grandpa, but also had a lot of substance abuse and things like that. Um, and that's not something that goes away. And, like, she had to grieve differently. She definitely was sad, but it was... I just felt myself very protective of her because the whole family was judging her mm-hmm. over it. Um little things that she'll say and things like that my my grand my mom will make comments yeah but and she loves her mom but she'll definitely make very annoyed comments and then I just have to bring up to her like well remember I've learned this about her now I've learned this about how she was raised and we've learned this about this um yeah like there's reasons for oh, yeah. the way she is the way Always. that she is she had a hard yeah she had a hard upbringing yeah. as well um 
And her mom, she felt that she was never going to be good enough for her mom. That was, that's the main core of my grandma is that there was nothing that she could do that would be good enough for her mother. Uh-huh. Um, and things like that. And my mom is like, but she, my grandma, my grandma, my mom will say like my grandma, her mother, right? Like it is the sweetest person. I just don't understand why she would ever think that. Like she would never say that. Like she was so sweet. I'm like, again, that's your grandma. That's her mother. Yeah. It's just completely different. Um, and my mom jokes around all the time when she'll start going off about something or a tangent. And then she's like, I should have done this in a different room because you're about to make me feel bad because we can't ever be, you know, <laughs> things like funny. that. Because she knows, she knows that I'm going to be like, well, let's, let's think a little bit more deep about yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think back on, on that, like, the different generations in, like, in our pasts and how they all were fighting to kind of cover certain needs. So, you know, like, as humans, we have various different needs. It's not just the basic needs, which are food, water, um, clothing and like mm-hmm. a roof. It's also emotional needs, uh, mental needs. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have spiritual needs, and we have I don't know. We have some sexual, not physical needs, and sexual needs as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that need to be covered for us to be able to survive as humans and be able to have a fully developed um, brain for it to be like everything good, right? Um, and it's so interesting because whenever I talk to my family about, or and I've heard this too with other families, about like how I'm struggling emotionally and this and that. And it's like, well, I don't understand why if like you have a roof over your head. Right. You had it way better than we had. And that, yes. com- that comparison of struggle um, is really yes. hard because sometimes like it's really hard to to tell these older generations like yes i understand that maybe you guys didn't have food to eat every Mm -hmm. every day and 20 miles to go to school and yeah Yeah, and walk 20 miles to go to school (laughs) and maybe didn't have shoes yes i have it way better but that doesn't take away from emotionally my needs were not met yes so it's really interesting did your parents, as you were like having these conversations with them, ever share that with you? Or and in the tell beginning, you yes, my dad and my dad will sometimes, but I can tell that it's it's almost a defense mechanism because he doesn't do it as much. Mm-hmm. But when he feels a bit more uncomfortable or there's things going on, it's his way of yeah. It it is coming from a from a good place, unfortunately. Like if if my dad and my dad has mentioned it before, like if I'm upset or I'm talking about now it's better, but for sure years ago when I would bring up mental health and things like that or like that I'm feeling kind of depressed or I'm feeling anxious they'd be like what do you have to be depressed about what do you mean you know like yeah. I just don't understand um and it and it hurts because it, it is invalidating but at the same time I know and when he would make comments of like I mean when I used to get beat up when I used to be a total like you never saw me depressed you never saw me cry all these things um I know that's a way of him telling himself too, like I I don't know how to describe it, but I feel like it's a way that he tells himself, it's okay, you got through that, and it's fine. Like, I feel Uh like it's a way of self-soothing, and it's also a way to try to let me know you are okay. Like, you know what I mean? Instead of being like, that does sound good, but, like, let's think about things that we're grateful for. You know what I mean? Things like that, because I know that's where it's coming from, too. It's like, no, let's really think about things. And that is an activity in your practice, but they just don't know how to sit with uncomfortable feelings and sit with sadness and sit with anger it's really hard um for them and yeah I mean I think it was 
it happened a lot more at first when I would bring up things and I'd bring up stuff like that. And my, my mom, thankfully, never really did it. Um, but again, me just speaking so much about the kids that I worked with and myself and talking so much about before I even brought it up to them, I talked about other people a little first. bit more about like, oh, you know, I really have to, I really work on teaching my kids that like sometimes losing your favorite stuffed animal is almost the same feeling as like a rainy day for another kid like you just can't compare two sadnesses like it's all valid and I am guilty at sometimes feeling sad but being like oh, but at least like I feel at least I ate today or something but again uh-huh. that's invalidating it's not it's not yeah. sitting with that emotion it's a way for me to be like oh, I don't want to feel it I should be happy because of this yeah. I shouldn't feel that I should be happy because of this um and so it's a self-soothing thing so I know my dad's doing it to self-soothe himself because he just doesn't doesn't know any other way yeah I gotta um, say, like, I learned a lot from, like, I guess, like, that perspective of, like, not, I guess, taking it personally. Because I think, like, to some extent, like, I still personally struggle with, like, trying to educate my family. Mm-hmm. But I also can get so triggered sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, even um, right now, I don't, I'm not meeting, I haven't met with my therapist in a while. Um, and I know that I need to get back into it. But, um It can just be so hard to just, like, be so empathetic when that, like, need strikes. And I I find that this happens a lot even during holidays, I guess, Mm because that's when the whole family gets together. Everyone gets triggered by everyone. And then all these old, like, um, family dynamics start to come into play. And so I tend to see that within my own family and then also, like, with, like, the families that I work with. And it can be really hard to be able to have that patience and grace of having these difficult conversations. So I commend you for that because I will say, no, it doesn't, I know I'm speaking about it, but I was just recently triggered last week and like, they don't always go perfect. And I have to revisit. My dad had COVID um, and he did not have it these past three years and he is not someone. And again, a a thing. And, And again, it might take eight times for me to make a comment about it for them to be like, this is probably an issue. Like he can't, he hates being by himself. He can't be, he doesn't sleep by himself. He's never, he struggles really badly to be in a room by himself. He struggles to be in a home by himself. He struggles doing errands by himself. He's not a person that likes to be by himself. Um, so COVID, he got sick. Oh, no. And so he has to be quarantined. Um, he did well the first two or three days because he was feeling rough. Um, but by the fourth day, he would like come down and we would give him his food or give him the things that he needed. He was staying in the bedroom. My mom would stay with me downstairs and we were all separate from him. Um, But there was a point in one of the days last week that he was coming down a lot with his mask, but he would come peer over the TV and like chitter-tatter, chitter-tatter, chitter-tatter. And I was saying it throughout the day, like, dad, love you, but get on up. You know, like my abuelita is here. Like, come on, come on. And I would, and I would chew him jokingly all day. Um, And one of the last times that he came down, he laughed at something that one of us said. And then his laugh turned into a cough. So I was a bit more snappy. And I was like, dad, for real, like, please go upstairs. You know, what is the point of you quarantining? You're not staying upstairs. And I also took his wife from him because I wouldn't let her go upstairs. Uh-huh. First, she has a broken foot. So I was like, I'm hiding the crutches. She's not going up there. She's staying with me. <laughs> and he jokingly, playfully was really upset. Like, are you serious? Like, I, he sleeps with one of those um, air breather things for, mm-hmm. for himself for sleep apnea. And he's like, the doctor said that she could if I have that on. And I'm like, great. But let's be extra safe. It's going to be fine. Um, but that last time that he came down and coughed and I shoot him up we have this thing that has always triggered me that we speak Spanish like at home but when he makes comments that are angry he says them in English and it has always upset me because I 
have always believed that he says it so my mom doesn't, doesn't. understand. Oh, like And so sneaky. he came downstairs and did the coughing thing. And again, I'm joking like, Dad, for real, like, come on, what's the point of quarantining? And he snapped. Um, and he said, like, in English, enough is enough. This is my house. I can go wherever I want mm-hmm. and do whatever I want. And I immediately wanted to start crying. I wanted to move out, like, the next day. I was like, mm-hmm. I can't do this. Oh, I feel that Fuck rage this. in you. It was, ah. I was so upset. And I got on my phone immediately. And I was just like, I need to look. Like, I need to just calm myself down. And he went upstairs. Um, and then, like, then he said it in Spanish when he was going upstairs to my mom. And he's like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't be up here anymore. Um, and then I was so upset. I was so upset. I wanted to move out. I started looking at apartments that night. Like, I went full 180 being like, I can't. I thought I would stay for maybe two months, but I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't do this. Like, it, this is going to be rough. Um, and I noticed when I went to the kitchen, my mom had these long text messages. I guess they were texting these long things or something. And at that time, I was like, you know, fuck this. I, I, I don't want to heal anybody here. But then the next day, I was able to be calm and he when he did come down now he had the fuck like a hazmat on so like at least he sat with it and and i also sat with it being like i know he is struggling with being by himself that has always been an issue it has always been an issue and he knows that i'm right in in showing him to quarantine and he's again self-soothing and making him doesn't make it like right for him to snap like that and speak in english and i made a comment to my mom and i was like did you hear him when he spoke in english this is what he said like, mm-hmm. I'm always going to share it. <laughs> um, you know, he's not going to get away with that. Um, but that anger is still there. It's not always perfect. I was so upset. I didn't want to heal anybody. I didn't want to fix anything. I was like, fuck mm-hmm. this. I'm done. I'm tired. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're okay now. He's, he said it was his first day that he could be downstairs without a mask and, and free. Yay! Um, yeah, but it, yeah, it was horrible. And that's, I feel like the only times I've ever felt true blood boiling in my hands is for my dad. Mm-hmm. Is in things that he has said or when we quarrel like that or something. Yeah. Does that happen often where you guys, like, bump heads a lot? Not as much as it used to, but... Mm-hmm. I'd say a couple times a year, especially when I live there. Um, it's best, obviously, to have, like, your space from your family, but... Yeah. Not as much as it used to, and we're able to have more healthier arguments and yeah. stuff. Um, but... Yeah. I think um, one of the things that I've noticed with, with my family is mm, when it's when it's like conversations that we have that have just started randomly like if we're driving in the car for like those are well better taken from Mm -hmm. to my family Um, um whereas like if it's something that triggers me because i i also get very big emotional responses especially for my family like some a stranger can yell at me in the like in the street but if my brother yells at me or uh-huh. like switches up his tone at me or my mom switches up uh-huh. her tone with me I'm like in tears yeah and so it's really interesting to see like the different buttons that di- various uh-huh. people can push and how they affect you so uh-huh. yeah but I think this is a really great spot to um, close our session, um, our podcast episode, not session. <laughs> That's Feels a therapy bad. part in me. <laughs> um, but I am so grateful that I was able to interview you because not only did I learn more about my dear friend Daphne, but also um, 
kind of get more of a perspective of how your life was as first generation and being firstborn. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. So is there anything that you would like to plug? <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, no. So that gives me an idea that one day I could plug something. So that's great. No, you don't have you. your, your game ch- gaming channel anymore? I don't anymore. anymore. That was a huge pandemic hobby. And then I started grad school and then they both are gone. <laughs> so we'll get one back up eventually. Okay. Well, all right. Well, you guys should still check her out her Instagram. It's always full of um, um, mystical creatures. Um, I love your drawing. I'll post my art there, and I'm hoping to post more this year. So yeah. if you'd like to see some more Sailor Daff is the Instagram account. And yes. It'll be there. Are you still doing a lot of the cosplay? I would like to. This is my comeback year for that. So Woo! Yeah. I love them. Mm-hmm. You do such great costumes. I definitely. It's another area of creativity, for sure. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. Well, thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for listening. We hope that you enjoyed it. Make sure that you listen to us in our next episode coming up in two weeks. Yes. And make sure you follow us on Twitter at LPC underscore pod on Instagram at Yorona Pero Chingona pod. And make sure you send us any emails of feedback, anecdotes, any advice. Your, you caught your man cheating girl. Send that. Mandalo. Mandalo. We will give send you some advice. Everything. Um, you can send all that cheese at Yorona Pero Chingona Pod at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. Bye.